as we mentioned last week, we're, it's winding down. The Lord's bringing this sermon to a close, and you can see this in the things that, that, that he's dealing with. Especially just beginning with uh, uh, the first verse of, of chapter 7. And then as we saw last week regarding the golden rule, as we've come to know this, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But we find that in the scriptures here, he actually states it reverse of that, somewhat reverse of that, that whatever it is that you want men to do to you, then you should do to them. And of course, we saw that because we all love ourselves, every man loves his own flesh, and we desire for people to do things for us that are, are of a good nature, then that gives us a guide and a direction for how we should treat others. And, we, and it, what is most interesting of all of that was that the Lord said this sums up the law and the prophets, all that they taught, all those rules, six, 613 regulations, the rabbis said, that are in the law that every Jew had to keep. That was a lot to keep up with. But yet, he, in summing it up, he was telling us that in actuality, as we saw it, the law of love as a governing principle would enable any Jew to keep the law. And it enables us to be able to keep what Jesus has presented to us here in this sermon. And then we see that without any word of transition, without any clause to introduce us, he immediately launches into verse 13, Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Let's pray. Father, Help us, we pray, as we look to your word to understand what it is you are teaching your disciples, the principles that you have laid down for a disciple to follow. Lord, touch our hearts, keep us true to your word, and may we be filled with a, a, a love and a passion for following after you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, <clears throat> the only way I know to do this is to launch in just like Jesus did. Enter ye in at the straight gate. There is a parallel passage over in Luke, which we will turn to in a few minutes, um, regarding this entering. But I think we need to also notice, as I've made mention in times past, regarding structures of, of things and the way things are written, that we have these clues, you know, to, to take us back to certain points. Uh, and most often a word or a phrase. Hi, Tori. So we're, I'm getting a wave over here. And it was, <laughs> I kept going and going, so I, I acknowledged it. Okay, <laughs> now she's embarrassed. Uh, 
Um, we got this, this principle here, this word regarding entering. And we saw that word back in chapter 5 in verse 20. There it was dealt with in the negative. And he told his disciples, we'll turn, turn back there and take a look at it. We've looked at it several times already. But we looked at this matter of exceeding superabounding righteousness and excelling righteousness that went above and beyond that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And he's telling his disciples here, unless they have that kind of righteousness, he says, you will in no way or no wise enter into the kingdom of the heavens. So the, that was, a, that was a, a very clear principle laid down. Now we find over here that a part of that entering has to do with entering in at a straight gate. Now, the word straight has nothing to do with, you know, something being straight this way or not crooked. It has to do with narrow. And if you have a, a newer translation, it probably says, enter in at the narrow gate. And that is spoken of as opposed to the wide gate. And then you'll see that he says, broad is the way. And verse 14, he says, narrow is the way. So we have two gates. We have two ways. And then you'll see in verse 13, he states, one way leads to destruction. And then in verse 14, there is one that leads unto life. Now, I have difficulty trying to pull these kind of things together, so I tend to wander around. I, I love reading Kaizen's commentaries because they just lay this stuff out, and it always looks so nice. And then when I go to do it, it just goes all over the place. So if I wander around a little bit, that's just the way it is. That's, that's me. But I'll try to put it all together. The first thing we're looking at is two gates. And there's a comparison between the two, one being narrow and the other being wide. And, of course, the thing we would want to ask ourselves is, is you know, what kind of distinction is the Lord making here? What is a wide gate? What is a narrow gate? And what is the implication for a disciple? What is he trying to tell us? Enter in at the narrow gate. Well, <clears throat> number one, we're looking at something that's describing discipleship. We understand that. We're dealing with disciples. Jesus sat his disciples down and began to teach them these things. And he's telling then one who is already a disciple something about being a disciple. How to follow. And how to follow in such a way that you will be able to enter in to life. Well, the first thing I want us to do is just turn over to uh, Matthew chapter 16 to a clearly discipleship passage. And by the way, it's, it's important, you know, t take distinction about verses in the Bible that talk about come unto me, which are, you know, they're invitation messages to receive the gospel, to receive Christ, as opposed to follow passages, which are discipleship passages. 
Those are passages that deal with people who have already come to the Lord Jesus. So the next thing they want to do is, what do I do to follow? We're dealing with following here. He's talking about disciples in verse 24. Matthew 16, verse 24. And there he says to his disciples, if any man will. Now, I mentioned this, I think it was last week, maybe the week before, regarding discipleship. And you'll notice the words, any man, <coughs> are in italics. Well, it's not any man, it's any disciple. Jesus said unto his disciples, if any will, follow me. If any disciple, now if they'd put in italics, if any disciple will follow me, then that would have been the proper thing. Let him. Let him. That's like entering the narrow gate. Take note of this. If you're going to disciple, then here's something to take note of. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And so we see that discipleship is something concerning sacrifice. It's concerning denial. And in order to enter into a narrow gate, we cannot carry the baggage of the world with us. That means you better be willing to give up some things. That means we need to lay off the world's way of doing things and put on the Lord's way of doing things. When you enter into the narrow gate... You can only take so much with you. And in essence, he's, though he's telling us, shed off everything. You give it all up to follow me. Those that want to go down the other gate, the wide gate, where there's no constriction, no hindrances of any kind, they have no sacrifice to make. They just carry along everything they have with them. And so consequently, if, there's a, if you take everything with you, then where's, where's the commitment? There is a lack of commitment. There's nothing to drive a disciple who takes everything the world has to offer with him. Now, the Lord goes right in to deal with that very topic here in chapter 16. Because in verse 25, he says, For whosoever will save his life. And the word life there, by the way, is the word suke for soul. And it's translated soul down in verse 26. The very same word. So you're talking about the saving of the life or the saving of the soul. You're talking about the saving of the person for something. And when he says, whosoever will save his life shall lose it, he's giving us the principle of entering into the narrow gate. Because we lose our life, we forsake what life has to offer us now so that we can enter into the narrow gate. And then the next phrase, and whosoever will lose his life 
For my sake, he's though, he says, shall find it. So if you, if you save your life, if you keep it, if you want to hang on to the world's goods, then he says you're going to end up losing it. But if you're willing to shed off those things, give it all up with a commitment to follow Christ in discipleship, then he says he shall find it. You're going to find it. What is the it? Well, back in chapter 7, we'll take a look at something here. Notice in verse 14, when he said... Narrow is the gate and, and, and uh, hemmed in, constricted, afflicted is, is the way which leads unto life. Now in the Greek text, there's an article there. The, which leadeth unto the life. Now, what would you imagine the life would be? Well, all we have to do is go back to the beginning of what Jesus was teaching his disciples, and it's the life about the kingdom of the heavens. How are we going to, to enter into that life? And matter of fact, he says, few there be that find it. Well, that's the same life that Jesus is talking about over in Matthew chapter 16. If you lose your life now then you're going to find it. So really, this is just other language talking about either entering in at the narrow gate or entering in at the wide gate. One loses his life by entering in at the narrow gate and he ends up saving it. The other one enters in at the wide gate and, ends up, and, and, he, and he ends up, and he's saving his life. That's the language he uses in chapter 16. But in the end, he ends up losing it. And then you have here these narrow ways. And the broad ways. One way is a narrow, constricted, hemmed in, tight way. There's not a lot of room for laxity in the way of a disciple who is seeking the kingdom. But of course, our nature is so against that. We want the way of freedom, and we want to stretch our arms and, and get our elbows out and have a little room to breathe, as it were. Well, in chapter 16, he says, if you seek to save your life by that method now, then in the end, you'll lose it. So entering in at the, at the narrow gate means that it's not going to get any better, at least for a while. You're going to enter in at a narrow gate and you're going to follow a narrow path through life. That's what it means to lose your life now. Because remember, out here, everywhere else, 
There's a whole lot of worldly activity going on. There's a broad way out there in which many are enjoying life now and taking full advantage of everything the world has to offer them. But the Lord says, you throw those things off, you follow me, and this is the path that will lead to life. Now, he acknowledges it. He's very honest here. He says, few there be that find it. Now, that's a clear implication that there are going to be a lot of disciples seeking the kingdom, but not all of them are going to find what they're looking for. And by the way, this gets so interesting down here, and, and I hate to jump ahead, but when you get down to verse 21, you find some of those disciples who took the broad way. Lord, Lord, they're calling him Lord. They acknowledged him as master, but Jesus said, they're going to call me Lord, Lord. And he says, not every one of them that do so is going to enter, and there we find that word again, the kingdom of the heavens. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in the heavens. So it's not a popular thing to go the narrow way. But it is a popular Christian thing to say, well, you remember about 20 or 30 years ago when everybody was wearing their little pen, Jesus' is Lord pins around? Did you have one? Come on, Jack. I know you wore a Jesus' is Lord pin. <laughs> that was a big thing. It was really popular. And all he's saying here is that there are going to be many who call Jesus Lord, but that doesn't mean they're going to enter the kingdom. There are disciples on the narrow way. There are disciples on the broad way. There are disciples who profess commitment to Christ. And there are disciples who really, truly do follow the Lord Jesus as a disciple. They are committed to the Lord's word. You know, I heard about a couple guys that wrote a book the other day, and they were being facetious in the title. But you know what the title was? I thought it was really good. The title said, what if Jesus really meant what he said? Because, you know, that's exactly what's going on in the church, as it were, today. Is we preach a lot about Jesus, but we really don't believe he really meant what he said. We don't really believe that this is the way that he meant for us to follow and to enter into his kingdom. And when you, t when you, when you talk like that, when you teach those kinds of things, then it means we are to have a change of life. Something in our life ought to be different. There ought to be something different between the life of a disciple, a kingdom-seeking disciple... And the life of a Christian who's just the ordinary, on the Broadway disciple. Of course, you and I can't really tell them apart. The Lord's going to do that on the judgment day, and he'll know. Because we look the same. I mean, they're all doing the same thing, 
They're going to say, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and in your name cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works? And he doesn't, he doesn't dispute that. He acknowledges that they did these wonderful works and all these so-called you know, Christian things. But then he turns around and says, I never knew you. And he doesn't mean, I never knew you. I never knew you that you were never a disciple. You were never a follower of mine. He's saying that I never knew you in the sense of an experiential relationship with you. You see, walking down the broad way means a lack of an intimate relationship with Christ. The narrow way insists upon an intimate, close, experiential knowing of Christ. See, too much of the time we have it all right up here. We have a knowledge of Christ here, and we know all what the Scripture says. We know what the doctrines are. We know what the Bible teaches. We understand about the kingdom. These people here all understand about the kingdom as well but they're carrying it all up here. And they've never met the Lord on a heart level and walked with him in such a fashion. So he's talking about having an ex- experiences with the Lord. I like what Barnes, uh, Albert Barnes, he's a, a popular commentator that people go to. And, and uh, you know, regarding this verse here in verse 23, when he says, I never knew you, you know what he says about that? He says that means I never approved of you. He's not disputing the idea they were disciples. He's saying that Jesus is telling them, I never approved of you as one of my disciples. You didn't live an approving life or one that could be approved. As a matter of fact, you end up being disapproved. And that's another story altogether. The words in the scriptures that talk about being approved and being disapproved. Now, back up in verse 13, um, you'll notice then there, there, not only were there two gates, and there are two paths or two ways to follow, but also that there are two results. Now, I guess before I get to the results, I ought to look at something here. Turn, turn back with me to the very first psalm. And I think as soon as I say Psalm 1, you'll recognize you know, what we're turning here for. Because in the very introduction to the Psalter, we find a psalm that deals with those who walk two different kinds of paths. The one path has to do with those who refuse to walk in a certain way and associate with those of a certain way. In verse 1, he says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. So that tells us what he doesn't do. He's not on the broad way. He's not in with where everybody else is going. But in verse 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. And so, what is the result of one that does that? Well, he'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. 
His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. You know, he's doing nothing more than describing millennial conditions there. This is what it will be like in the millennium. Now, of course, he will prosper on his way and walking the narrow way and refusing to associate with those in verse 1. So he's going to prosper even now. But he says in verse 4, The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Now, back here in chapter 7 and verse 13, he says, uh, the broad way is the way that leads to destruction. And here he uses a word described as perish. It's not a very good end. And that word knoweth the way of the righteous. I want to read to you what uh, Kyle and Delich said in their commentary about this. Because I really like, I enjoy, I thought this was... Great too. It means to uh, it means a knowledge in living in intimate relationship to its subject. To know. Now think about that. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous. To know the way of the righteous, they're saying, here means to live in a knowledge of intimate relationship to its subject. Of course, the subject here is the way of the righteous. In other words, those who walk in such a way, in the narrow way, the way of the righteous, results in an intimate relationship with the Lord, and he knows them. As opposed to that disciple who is walking the broad way, the way of ease, the way of saving his life now, which is going to result in him losing it, and he ends up saying, I don't know you. I had no relationship with you. So just doing things in the name of the Lord is no guarantee of entering in the kingdom. It demands we have a, a, a personal, as we would say it, a personal day-by-day intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then lastly, he says, these two results, the narrow way which leads to destruction, excuse me, the broad way, I said it backwards, which leads to destruction, and the narrow way which leads to the life. That said, now, turn over to Luke chapter 13. This is a, a, a parallel passage to what the Lord is teaching us here. And if you look at verse 18, Luke chapter 13, verse 18, this is a little bit of an extended passage. But I want us to take note of what he's saying here. In verse 18, Then said he, Unto what is the kingdom of God like? And whereunto shall I resemble it? 
It is like a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and cast into his garden, and it grew and waxed a great tree, and the fowls of the air lodged in the branches of it. And again, he said, whereunto shall I liken the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till the whole was leavened. And he went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Then one said unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? Now notice the context in which he's asking that question. Are there few that be saved? And he said to them in verse 24, notice what he said immediately. Strive to enter in at the straight or the narrow gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. Now I want you to see the connection between the word saved and the word and and this topic of entering the kingdom. Because that is exactly the same thing. Now, keep your finger there in Luke 13. We're going to come back there. Go back to Matthew chapter 19. And verse 16. And you'll notice here the topic is the subject concerning the rich young ruler. Where he said... Behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? Or as we've stated before, age-abiding life or age-lasting life or life for the age. And the Lord knew exactly what kind of question he was asking him. In Luke, uh, Mark and Luke's account, it says, Inherit eternal life. And you know the story, how he goes on and, and tells him what he needs to do in, in obeying the commandments, and, and he walks away because he was called upon to give up all of his possessions so that he could enter in at the narrow gate. Only he didn't say narrow gate here. He said a needle. Notice in verse 24. I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, which is very, very narrow, than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Now look at verse 25. When his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? The point being here is being saved for what? Saved to enter into the Lord's kingdom. It's the same topic we looked at in Matthew 16. You either are following the Lord in obedience to his commands on the strict and narrow way and losing your life so that in the end it will be saved. That's what Peter was asking him here. When he used the word saved. And that explains then his answer later on when he went on down in verse 27. He said, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have? And he said, you that have followed me, that is as disciples, in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit on the throne of his glory, 
You also shall sit upon 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And then look at verse 29. Everyone that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father. And by the way, everyone in the context of discipleship here. You can't just say anybody that forsakes houses and lands and so on for Jesus is going to inherit. It's in the context of a disciple doing these things and being willing to give up brethren, sisters, brothers, fathers, mothers, wife, children, lands for my name's sake shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. And there we do have the word inherit regarding the rich young ruler. Now, the things he's asking us to give up are pretty severe. Most of us have not had to go to the depths of severity in giving up a wife or a husband or children or property or anything like that because of your commitment to follow Christ. But I can assure you there are brothers and sisters in this world to this day who are having to do those things, who are constantly losing their life in a very severe manner and sometimes physically losing their life because of their commitment to follow Christ. Now back to Luke chapter 16. In Luke chapter 16 then, in verse 24, when he says strive to enter in at this, at this narrow gate, notice, uh, I'm sorry, Luke 13, verse 25, 24 and 25. In verse 25, he says, when once the master of the house is risen up and has shut to the door and you begin to stand without and to knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us and he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence you are. Do you see the context in which the Lord's presenting this? It's the same as these back in chapter 7. They're saying, Lord, Lord. Here they're knocking at the door. Lord, Lord, open to us. It's the same as the five virgins in Matthew 25. Lord, open the door. And it's too late. And then... Shall you begin to say in verse 26, Why we have eaten and drunk in thy presence, and have, uh, thou hast taught in our streets. But he shall say, I tell you, I know you not whence you are. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. Now I've pointed this out probably on two or three occasions, and I'm going to do it again today. Hold your hand there in Luke and turn back to Psalm 6. Psalm 6. A Psalm of David. And you you don't, I really don't want to do it, but I'm going to because I have to because you've got to catch the context of David's Psalm here. Verse 1, he says, O Lord, rebuke me not in thine anger, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are vexed. My soul is also sore vexed. But thou, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, deliver my soul. O save me for thy mercy's sake. Save me for thy mercy's sake? Why is he having to plead with God to save him? 
He's talking about delivering him, preserving him for what's to come in the future. He says in verse 5, In death there is no remembrance of thee. In the grave who shall give thee thanks? I am weary with my groaning. All the night make I my bed to swim. I water my couch with my tears. Mine eye is consumed because of grief. It waxes old because of all mine enemies. My enemies. Now watch verse 8. Depart from me, that is you enemies, all ye workers of iniquity. For the Lord hath heard the voice of my weeping. Now, did you go, hold your hand there in Psalm 6 and go back to Luke 13. And you notice he says, depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. Now, I have here a Rottery Study Bible. And he has a note here on verse 8. And he says this. David speaks as a king purging his kingdom of evildoers. Christ quoted the verse in a similar way. Now, in Matthew chapter 7, he, we have the same verse given to us there. And we have it here in Luke 13. And the point of this is, is that the Lord will purge, cleanse his kingdom. He will not allow workers of iniquity in. And in order to ensure that we will enter in, then we don't want to follow the path of iniquity, which he describes as the broad way, not the narrow way. We, did I say that right? We follow, the, we follow the narrow way, we avoid the broad way. And those who have followed the broad way, he's going to tell them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Now notice in verses 28 and 29, he says, There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when ye shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrust out. Now we know back in Matthew chapter 8, verse 11, thrust out where? Thrust out into the outer darkness, the darkness outside. And they shall come from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south and shall sit down in the kingdom of God. And that word, that little phrase, sit down, means to sit down at my table. And someday I'd like to go back and look at, at King David and his administration as well as Solomon and look at the orderliness of what David did in his kingdom and how he seated those at his table and how he made provision for all of those who shared in his kingdom rule. And what the Lord is going to do for those he allows to sit down at his table in his kingdom and share in his administration when they are allowed to rule with him and they stand approved. So, that being said, back to Matthew chapter 7. <clears throat> You'll notice there, as I said, in, in verse 20, what is it? Verse 23 
of Matthew's account, we have the same phrase used there. I never knew you, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. So verse 24, therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them. That's the point. That is what the Lord is driving at. Those who have heard this sermon that we have been discussing for the last several weeks and do them, that, those are the ones he's looking for. Now, we said that there were two results. One leading in destruction and the other, uh, the other one, <laughs> the, other, the other one leading to life. The life. There are two results. Two outcomes by the choice we make. So every disciple needs to be confronted. And I'm afraid these days, very few in churches that I know of are being challenged to make a decision about which gate you're going to pursue after. And we need to decide. We need to decide how I'm going to order and live my life before the Lord so that we can be sure that the narrow gate is the one I'm entering in. And then once I've entered the gate, I've made the choice, I've taken up my cross, I've determined to follow the Lord, then lose my life now on the narrow path so that the result at the end will be saving it, or as the Lord says right here, enter in. to the life, that which leads unto the life of the kingdom or the life of the kingdom of the heavens, which is what his topic has been up to this point. So we find, oh, one thing more I want to turn to. Look over to chapter 11 of Matthew, just a couple pages to the right there, to uh, the well-known verses at the end, 28, 29, and 30. And notice there, we have those words I was referring to earlier. Come, he says, that's the great invitation. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Turn with me. Hang your finger here again. Don't leave Matthew 11. Turn with me back to Exodus chapter 33. And verse 16, 18, uh, none of those. It's verse 13. Now, 14, I'm sorry. <laughs> Exodus 33, 14. Now, we can't hardly read verse 14, though, without starting at verse 12. So let's, let's begin there. Exodus 33 and verse 12. And notice what he says there. He says, Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring this up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people." How do you find God's favor, his grace upon your life? By following in his way. 
And by following in his way, then you will know him, he will know you. And then notice in verse 14, he tells Moses, and he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. Now, having said that, Jeremiah chapter 6. And verse 16, Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16, he says there, Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways, and see, and ask for the old paths, where is the good way, and walk therein. Now you remember, Jeremiah being a prophet, he was preaching to a nation that was far from the Lord. And he's admonishing them to get back on the path, Walk in the right way, stand ye in the ways, and walk therein. And notice what he says the outcome would be. And ye shall find rest for your souls. Wasn't that what Jesus said back here in Matthew eleven twenty-eight? In verse 29, rather, he says, You follow me, and he says, Ye shall find rest unto your souls. But notice what the response of the, of the people of Israel was here in verse 16, Jeremiah 6. But they said, we will not walk therein. Now, we mentioned it last week in Jeremiah. Many of them were going through the motions. They were making their sacrifices. They were going down to the temple they would bring what the required sacrifices were. They were even using the language saying, as the Lord liveth, and then making their pronouncement. But Jeremiah said, surely they swear falsely. They're not saying it from the heart. And the Lord is telling us here, back in Matthew chapter 11, he's saying to us, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Wow. Enter in at the narrow gate, which is tight, it's constricted, and that word is translated afflicted in other places, this word narrow. And yet he tells us over here, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I think it looks to me like these things work in opposite ways. When we enter in at the narrow gate, we walk a narrow path. And then as we get down to the end, and there, we are ultimately entering into the kingdom, you know, the kingdom is broad. The kingdom isn't narrow. The kingdom is broad. This is where we find the Lord's blessing. All the things that he has promised that he would benefit us with during his reign and rule are there for us to enjoy. The way of, well, we'll say the, the, the broad way starts off broad, but what does it lead down to? It gets narrow and narrow and it leads to destruction. And that's the end of it. There's nothing at the end but sorrow and pity, weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
and finding yourself on the outside in the darkness. So the Lord's words to us then in Matthew chapter 7, as he's you know, concluding this message, you've got a choice to make. Here's the two choices. You've got two gates. You can enter into this narrow one over here. You can enter into this broad one. You can follow these two paths. One's pretty tight and narrow, and it has a lot of heavy demands on it. The other one's very broad. It's real easy to follow. And then in the end, though, the narrow path, it leads over here into the life. The broad path over here leads into destruction. My dear disciples that I'm teaching you, Jesus is telling them, you know, which one are you going to choose? Which way is the gate for you? What path are you going to follow? And that's the choice you and I have to make. It's a choice we need to be constantly aware of every day in the choices we make, the things we do, how we relate to each other is by all these principles that the Lord has laid down to us up to this point. And as we said, all of these things that he has given us has one high, overarching, governing principle that rules over all. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And I think we can fairly call that the law of love. That rules over all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've made your word clear to us, but we thank you also, Father, that there are things that we have to struggle with and study and look up and determine just what it is you're teaching us and how we're to go about this life of a Christian and what it means. Lord, we are fearful when we look around us and we see the direction our country is going, the direction that Christianity is going, the direction that uh, the teachers of, of your word are going. And we find this path really is a narrow one. And so I pray that we would have the boldness and the courage to make, number one, the right choice, and then number two, the will to stay on the narrow path and that we would be here for each other to encourage each other along that way so that we might not falter and that we all together might be able to hear, well done, now good and faithful servant. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.